All right. Well, good morning, New Life. Good morning. All right. We're awake. Here we go. So we're continuing our series on friends. So let me start with a little group participation here. I am going to name one half of a famous dynamic duo, and let's see if you can name the other half. Okay, here we go. When I say Batman, you say Robin. That's right. Okay. When I say Bert, you say Ernie. Ernie. Okay, here we go. If I say Mario, Luigi. Luigi, that's right. All right. How about Tom and Okay, got it. How about this, Bonnie and Clyde. Yep, yep, Bonnie and Clyde. All right, how about this, Calvin? Hobbs. Calvin and Hobbs, yep. All right, here about Buzz and Woody. Buzz and Woody, yeah, I got the last time. Last, last they were all Buzz Lightyear? Like, you know, Buzz and Woody, guys, okay. <laughs> all right, last one. I'll give you a hint. I'm going to give you a hint on this one. This is for you sports fans out there. When I say Michael, you say Scotty, there we go, Scotty, right. You know, Jordan and Pippen, all right, dynamic duo for the Chicago Bulls in the 90s, won six championships. I was not a real big Bulls fan, but my best friend Patrick, he lived on the left side of us at my house up in Buffalo. He, he was a big Chicago Bulls fan. He was Michael Jordan, and I got to be Scotty Pippen. He was a little bit older than me, so I got to be Scotty Pippen. I'm like, ah, oh, it's not fine. I'll be Pippen. It's good. To, to, our, to the right side, our neighbor to the right side was Nikki. So Patrick, Nikki, and I, we were all within about five months of one another. Patrick was born in July. Nikki was in August. I was in November. We were the three musketeers. We were best friends. And growing up, I knew I could always really trust Patrick. I could follow him. But when I followed Nikki, sometimes got me into trouble. Like, <laughs> like, like the one time, we were about eight years old. Nikki goes, hey, Sean. Hey, the neighbors down the street, they just got this big aquarium in their backyard. It's full of fish. They've, they've asked us to come and play with their fish. Come with me. Okay, okay. You know, we, we hop the fence, get in their backyard. Nikki's in there po- poking at the fish. I'm like, okay, he's really playing with the fish. All of a sudden, the curtain of the back door, sliding glass door opens up, and there's this woman. She's got this mean look on her face. Nikki bolts. Nikki runs. I'm still standing there because I'm like, didn't, they, didn't she say we should come over here and play with their fish? No, like that was a total <laughs> bold-faced lie, right? And I learned, I learned from following Nikki into some bad situations that the friends that you follow impact the life that you lead. Yes, the friends you follow will impact the life you will lead. When I was in high school, I was told this over and over again. Sean, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. And it's, it's true. Right, God has given us friendships, and it's a beautiful thing, because when we're friends with people, we get to kind of be open and honest. We get to be vulnerable. We're not guarded. But when we're not guarded, it it means that those people are going to influence us. It means they're going to influence us, and oftentimes our friends will either help us or hurt us. They'll take us down the right path, or they'll take us down the wrong path. And so we've got to be wise about who we choose as friends, who we allow to influence and impact our lives. And So today we're going to look at the story of two friends from the Bible that were so close, they walked so closely with one another that it took a a small tornado to tear them apart, okay? We're going to learn the story of Elijah and Elisha, all right? Probably going to mix up their names, okay? It had to be confusing, okay? But Elijah and Elisha, we pick up with their story in 2 Kings chapter 2. So open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2 or get your version Bible app ready. Verse 1 says this, 
So the time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Okay, this is kind of weird what's going on here. Let me paint a little picture of what's going on here in Israel. So this is about 850 B.C. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom in Judah, they've split apart. The northern kingdom of Israel is led by these kings that are just bad guys, just terrible human beings, really. And they're sacrificing to other gods, and they're leading the children of Israel to worship these false gods, the gods of the nations around them. Southern kingdom was a little bit different story. They'd have a good king and a bad king, a good king and a bad king. And so God sent the nation of Israel prophets, you know, men who would speak and deliver his messages on behalf of God, saying, hey, come back to God. Worship God. Don't worship the false gods around you. They're just make-believe myths. Don't put your hope in them. Don't put your trust in them. It will lead to bad decisions in your life. And so God sends Elijah to give these messages, to turn the children of Israel, their hearts back to God, and even to perform miracles, right, to prove Jehovah is the real God. So recently, Elijah stood toe-to-toe with 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel, and he's called fire down from heaven because they had a little contest. Okay, whoever can call fire down from heaven, that must be the true God. So Elijah won that contest. And then shortly after that, God tells Elijah, hey, you've done your job, right? You're getting older. It's time for you to anoint a successor, someone to pick up your ministry where you're going to leave off. And so God goes to Elijah and he says, hey, I want you to go find Elisha, okay? He lives in this town. Go find him and anoint him your successor. So Elijah goes and he finds him and he actually sees Elisha. He's plowing in his field. He's a farmer. And Elijah takes off his cloak or what's called his mantle, his outer garment, and he puts it on Elisha as a signaling, hey, I want you to come and follow me. Learn from me. Not, not too dissimilar to the call that Jesus placed upon his disciples. Hey, come follow me, learn from me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. And so that's what Elisha does. He says, you know, wherever you go, Elijah, I'm going to go. I want to learn from you. And Elisha becomes Elijah's intern. You know, whatever Elijah needs, he's there for him. The text says he's, he washes his hands. He holds the water to wash his hands. He goes, gets coffee for him. He makes copies for him. He does everything that Elijah needs. He just learns from him. They walk so closely. Even when Elijah tries to get out of town, tries to get a little space, Elisha's right there with him. That's why the text continues saying this. And this is going to be a long passage of Scripture. It's a story time with Sean. All right, stick with me. Here we go. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophet who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, Yes, I know. Be quiet. <laughs> Elisha said to him, Hey, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord is sending me to Jericho. But Elisha said, Hey, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Then the sons of the prophet who were in Jericho came to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, yes, I know. Be quiet. (laughs) Elisha said to him, hey, stay here. The Lord is sending me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, hey, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men from the sons of the prophets came and stood, observing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle or his 
outer cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, which parted to the right and left. Then the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taking, taken from you? So Elisha answered, Please let me inherit two shares of your spirit. Elijah replied, You have asked for something difficult. If you see me being taken from you, you will have it. If not, you won't. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. As Elisha watched, he kept crying out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. When he could see him no longer, he took hold of his own clothes, he tore them in two and picked up the mantle that had fallen off Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle Elijah had dropped and he struck the water. Where is the Lord God of of Elijah, he asked. He struck the water himself and it parted to the right and to the left and Elijah crossed over. When the sons of the prophets from Jericho who were observing saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And so what we're seeing here is how the friends that we follow impact the life that we lead. We see Elisha picking up exactly where Elijah left off, right? Right after Elijah is taken up to heaven, here's Elisha now. He's now on the east side of the Jordan River, and he lives on the west side, right? It's like, okay, we got ourselves a situation here. I got to get back home. How am I going to get back home? Most people would say it's time to get wet. It's time to swim. But Elisha's like, dude, I've been following this Elijah guy. Like, I saw him do it. Let's see if I can do it. And he, he takes his cloak, Elijah's cloak, and he strikes the water with it, and it parts to the right and to the left, just like God had done for Elijah. And we see Elisha picking up right where Elijah had left off. And it shouldn't be surprising to us that now Elisha is doing miracles. Because what did Elisha ask for when Elijah said, hey, my time is coming to a close. My time is coming to an end. I can do one more thing for you. What what, what do you want me to do for you? You want me to put a good word in the king for you? You want me to perform a miracle for you? What does he ask for? In the NIV, the New International Version, the version I always grew up reading this story, he says, hey, can I, can I inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elijah? A double portion. You know, what, what did that sound like? What did that sound like to Elijah? I think it, I think it sounded something like this. Oh, what, 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 what can you do for me, Elijah? What can you do for me? Here's what you can do for me. You know what? I want to be just like you. I want to be just like you. Like, I want to be able to perform miracles like you. I want to be able to preach amazing sermons like you. You know, I, I, I want to heal people. I want to prophesy. I want to have a big following. I want to be just like you, Elijah. Just like you, but better. <laughs> right? I know I'm mean, better, like, like, like twice the impact, like twice the amount. Of, like, like, I know you're pretty popular, but I want to be twice as popular. I want to have twice the impact. I want to be just like you, but better. Look, if you were Elijah and your intern came to you and said, I want to be like you, but better. Like, I want my, I want my company to get a lot bigger than you, okay? Like, how are you going to respond? I would be like, what you talking about, Willis? Like, have you not, your eyes have not been open? Like, have you, 
I'm going to go down on ancient Israel's miracle worker Hall of Fame list as number two of all time. Like, number two all time. Like, Moses, he gets number one. Like, no contest. He split the Red Sea. I've split the Jordan River, okay? He led the children of Israel out of Egypt, number one. I'm going to be number two. So get it back in line. Like, you can be number three, maybe, but double? Double, okay? Like, really? Who do you think you are? But is that the attitude of Elijah? No, he's like, wow, like that's a difficult thing to, to ask for. But what vision, what faith? That they, you're, not, you're not content with the status quo. You're not content just maintaining this ministry that I've started. You want to take it to the next level. Man, I want to see that happen. Because I want to see that happen. What, what you need to do is you need to stay so close to me. You need to walk with me so close that when God takes me away, you'll be there and you'll witness it. And because he stood so close, because he walked so close with Elijah, and he sees Elijah taken up to heaven, he receives a double portion of his spirit. And when we turn the pages in 2 Kings, you know what we see Elisha doing? We, we see him perform miracles just like Elijah did. We see him raising dead people back to life just like Elijah did. We see him providing clean water and food for people who desperately need it, who were going to stop, starve otherwise. We see him predicting the future. Things he said was going to happen actually came true. The only thing that was different was he performed twice as many miracles as Elijah did. He received a double portion of his spirit. Why? Because he walked with him. Because he stayed close to him. Because the friends that we follow, yes, impact the life that we lead. And that's the attitude of a godly friend. They have the attitude of Elijah, right? They're not, they're not jealous of their friend's success. They're saying, a win for you is a win for me. Do, do, you have, do you have friends that have that attitude that are always looking out for your best interests or always giving you tips, okay? I, I've got one friend that um, is always giving out stock tips. Okay, I don't know if you have one of those friends. Okay, probably most of us have those friends. Like, oh, you got to buy this stock. I have learned my lesson, okay? I have learned my lesson. Some of my other friends have a few weeks ago. They all bought this stock and boo, it started to tumble after they all bought it. You know, my, my, my friend though, he's got the right, you know, he's got the right motivation, just the wrong information, right? He really wants, he really, he's like, if I'm going to get rich, I want my other friends to get rich, but just, buddy, you're just off sometimes. It's, <laughs> somehow it's always the ones that you suggest. But to be a godly friend means, hey, you're going to look at your marriage and you're going to say, man, I want my marriage to be amazing. Like, I want it to be anchored to the love of Christ. But I actually want the marriages of my friends to maybe even be better than mine because they're learning from me. They're learning from my mistakes. Now, I, I want my kids to follow Jesus. I want them to have a, 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 an amazing, intimate relationship with Jesus. But if the friends of, of the kids of my friends, if they actually are closer to Jesus than mine are, man, that's a win. That's a victory because we're all in this together. Because uh, godly friends are not jealous of their friend's success, but they, they work towards it. They celebrate that. Have you guys ever heard the name Henry, or have you ever heard the name Graham, oh, Billy Graham, that's his name, Billy Graham. Billy Graham, most of us have probably heard the name Billy Graham before, most of us have. Have you ever heard the name Bill Bright? Bill Bright, not as familiar, but some of us have heard the name Bill Bright because he started Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew, it's a campus ministry and campuses all over the world. Have you ever heard the name Jim Rayburn? Jim Rayburn, 
Some of you have, if you're associated with Young Life, the ministry Young Life, he was the visionary behind starting Young Life. Um, ever heard of the name Bob, Bob Pierce? Some of us are familiar with Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce started World Vision, this, this international relief organization that serves millions of people worldwide in the name of Jesus. The, the, the one thing that Billy Graham and Bill Bright and Jim and, and Bob all have in common is the same person mentored them. One person mentored all of those four guys, and her name is Henrietta Mears. Um, She was a single woman, never married, but was a Sunday school teacher in Southern California. Her her friend said that she was the greatest preacher they've ever heard, and yet she never had a pulpit ministry, never led a large organization, but she discipled people who would then go on to do even greater things than, than she would do because she had the attitude of a godly friend. She said, you know what, I'm content to allow my fruit to grow on other people's trees. That, that was the attitude of a guy named Bob Buford. He was a Christian businessman and said, no, I'm going to have an impact, but it's not going to be me that's going to have the impact. It's going to be the impact that's made through leaders that I invest in. And so he invested in Christian leaders, even Todd Wilson, who's on staff at our church that started Exponential, the largest gathering of church planters in the world, mentored him. Bob had that attitude. Hey, I'm not going to be jealous of young leaders. I'm going to pour into them so they can do greater things than I have done. See, Jesus summed up the attitude of a godly friend when he was talking with his disciples the night before his crucifixion in John 15, 13, when he says that greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. Now, I'll admit, I wake up most mornings and I am not thinking, how can I make my friends' lives better today? It's typically not the first thing on my mind. Typically, it's, how can I make Sean's life better today? So, one thing I have to discipline myself to do is to pray for my friends in the morning, to pray for Andy, to pray for Dan, to pray for JR, to pray for Cush, to pray for these people and ask God to draw them closer to Him. Help me figure out, how can I be a blessing to them today? How do I be a godly friend to them You know, this whole idea of, hey, our friends, the friends that we follow, impact the life we will lead, it was not a new concept in the days of Elijah and Elisha, right? They they understood the ways that friends influence one another, the impact that they can have on their life, because about a hundred years before Elijah and Elisha lived, lived a, a king in Israel named King Solomon. And he penned these words of Scripture in Proverbs 13, 20, it says this, Walk with the wise, and you will grow wise, or you will become wise. But he said, but a companion of fools suffers harm. He said, walk with the wise, and you will automatically grow wise. And that's not just the conclusion of the Bible. It's not just the conclusion of the Bible. Actually, modern science tells us that this is just a true reality. Morin Cerf is a neuroscientist from Northwest University in Chicago, And he's been studying relationships and human interaction and engagement for over a decade. And his research shows that just by being in the same space as people, walking with people, talking with people, it automatically changes what's going on in your brain. Your brain waves begin to align with the people that you're next to, all right? Like the people that you're sitting next to, they're influencing what you're thinking right now, the ways that your brain waves are functioning. This is what he says. The more we study engagement... We see time and again that being next to certain people actually aligns your brains with them. He says, this means the people you hang out with 
actually have an impact on your engagement with reality beyond what you can explain. And, and, and one of the effects is you become alike. He says you become alike just by spending time with people. What's he saying? He's saying walk with the wise and you will grow wise. And so he says the, the best way to guarantee a life of greater happiness and less regrets is to spend time with people that you want to be more like. Wise people. Allow them to influence you. Allow their perspective, their decision-making abilities, their attitudes to influence yours. Recently, SAP or SAP, I don't know what they're called, SAP or SAP, HR research firm, they, they study workplace environments and productivity in the workplace. Their research, they looked at 43 different published studies over the last 30 years. And according to their research, they've shown that in the workplace, employees that have a mentor, that have somebody to meet with on a regular basis, those employees receive higher pay, have a, have a greater number of promotions, and actually have more satisfaction and, and more, uh, more of a commitment to their work as compared to workers who don't have a mentor. And so it's not probably unique, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, that when we see successful business people, they're oftentimes praising and giving credit to the people that have mentored them. Mark Zuckerberg, he credits Steve Jobs as his mentor. Bill Gates, he credits Warren Buffett. J.J. Abrams, the film director, says, man, I wouldn't be where I was if it wasn't for the investment of Steven Spielberg in my life and career. Oprah Winfrey, she gives credit to, to Maya Angelou and Bill Belichick, man, Bill Belichick, okay? He gives credit to Bill Parcells, you know, Bill Parcells, <sighs> coach of the Giants. When Bill, Parce when Bill Belichick was the defensive coordinator, beat the Buffalo Bills in Super Bowl 25. Still haven't gotten over it. Still haven't gotten, I'm still processing, still processing this. But all of these successful people, they were successful in their careers when they sought out a mentor. Right? I, I don't you know, mention those people saying we've got to be more like these people, but we can emulate their humility. You realize these people, they were successful, but they said, I still have room to grow. Right? I can only grow so far on my own. I need somebody who's a little bit further than me to help me get to where I want to go. That's why I love our ministries, ministries that we have here at New Life, like MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers. Where if you're a mother of a preschooler, you get to be paired up, mentored by, by someone who, a, a woman who's been there before, who's, who's raised children and can help you in this oftentimes new season of your life or our Celebrate Recovery Ministry, where we say, hey, don't just come and listen to a lecture, come and listen to a, a lesson or a testimony, come and, man, walk with some people that have walked through addiction, that have walked through pain and suffering, and man, you'll find somebody to just walk together with you through these hard times. You know, one person that's a benefit of many of these ministries is this guy. This is his picture. His name is Chad Boer. Some of you know Chad Boer. He showed up to New Life about 10 years ago. He showed up saying he didn't believe in God. He said he was an atheist, but he showed up because he knew that his marriage was in trouble. So him and his wife, Natalie, they came to church, kind of throwing a Hail Mary to save their marriage. Maybe they get some help. He showed up at church, and he became friends with Mike Fuster, who was the campus pastor at the time. 
Mike put his arm around Chad and said, just, just, let's just walk together. And Chad, through Mike's help, began to see the areas in his ministry that he needed to take responsibility for, some ownership for, some mistakes that he was making that he needed to own up to and work to resolve. And through Mike walking with him, Chad became a follower of Jesus, began to believe and, and accepted Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. And he really got on fire for Jesus. He started studying apologetics, you know, do I, is what I believe really true. And then he wanted to help other people. So he started mentoring other guys and started small groups and Bible studies, started leading men's ministry events. And he was growing, 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 growing. But Chad says, but I can only grow so far on my own. I, I need somebody who's a little bit further down the line. I need someone to help me to continue to grow as a father, continue to grow as a husband. And so he sought out someone with a little more gray hair, and so he found Santa Claus. He found Glenn Letterbore, okay, literally Santa Claus. And he said, Glenn, could you mentor me? Could, could we meet like once a week, and I could just maybe share some of the struggles that I'm going through, some of the questions that I have? And Glenn said, sure. I'd love to do that for you, buddy. This is what Chad says about their relationship. He says, Glenn let me ask questions. He shared his experiences. He cared about me and my family. When I needed support, he would support me. And when I needed solutions, he would coach me. Most of our difficulties can be overcome through a change in perspective. Glenn would challenge me to view things differently and to take steps that may be uncomfortable. I gained wisdom beyond my experiences I avoided some pitfalls I was blind to. He says, I also gained a friend. I also gained a friend. What do we see in that relationship? We see Proverbs 27, 17. As his iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And as Chad was being mentored by Glenn, Chad was mentoring somebody else. He found somebody else who was going through a hard time put his arm around him, this man I was talking to this week. He said, when Chad found me, I was curled up in a fetal position, literally some days not being able to get out of bed. He said, but Chad helped me understand that I have a loving Heavenly Father who went to great lengths to have a relationship with me. He said, Chad taught me how to pray. He taught me how to grow in my relationship with God. You know, he, he led me to the point where I realized that I needed to be baptized and surrender my life to, to Christ. And this man's name is Craig Edmonds. I got to share a hotel room with Craig this week. You guys probably recognize him. He's on the greeting team. He's actually on staff now at our church. I was talking with Craig this week, and I said, just, could you just tell me a little bit about your relationship with Chad? What was it like? And man, Craig had to hold back the tears as he was sharing how Chad would meet with him and check in on him every single day for years. Just say, hey, how are you doing? How can I encourage you? How can I pray for you today? He said, Chad would show up at my house unannounced just to check on me, making sure I was doing okay. And then Craig said, Sean, you know, Chad was the first real friend I've ever had. The first real friend I've ever had. I was, we were actually together in Nashville, and I went to this one workshop. We were at a conference this week, and according to Steve McCoy, McCoy from Small Circle Discipleship, he says that a recent study has shown that 93% of men don't have a best friend. Don't have a best friend. And we're missing out. We're missing out. We're missing out with this ironing, sharpening iron when we don't have these types of friendships, these relationships in our lives. One thing I love about Craig is he said, as Chad has mentored me, now I'm going to mentor other men. 
So it's not going to stop with me. I'm going to mentor other men. And, and Craig, well, he's got a military background, and so he's not afraid to kind of shoot straight with you. He's not afraid to share some hard truth with you. Sometimes it, it kind of hurts, but it needs to happen. And that's what godly friends do. They're, they're more concerned about your well-being than about the friend thinking well of them, that they're able to share some truth. That's hard, but they do it in love. Ephesians 4.15 tells us to do it. So speaking the truth in love, we're to encourage one another, mentor one another, help each other grow to sharpen one another. If we're going to be iron that sharpens one another, right, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be friction. That's what happens when iron sharpens iron. That's what happens in the story of Elisha, right? Elisha, the, the, the sons of the prophets come to him and say, hey, Elisha, do you know that Elijah, your master, is going to be taken away from you? He says, yeah, I know. Be quiet. Right? He doesn't want to hear it. He's like, that's an inconvenient truth. Why are you telling me this? Be quiet. They keep reminding him. Why are they remind him? They're saying, stay close. Stay close to Elijah. He's going to be taken away from you soon. And they share that hard truth with him, even though it was inconvenient. Why? Because they care about him. You know, I know for me, some hard truth that some friends of mine have spoken to me was, Sean, why are you, why are you going on dates with that girl? Why, why, why are you pursuing a relationship with her? She doesn't share the same faith convictions as you have. It's time to abort mission, buddy. Time to get out. Don't pursue it any longer. And man, I'm glad that my friends had the courage to share those words of wisdom with me. Saved me a lot of hardship. Saved me a lot of grief. Because they were a friend that spoke truth to me. You know, one verse we've seen over and over and over again in this series is Proverbs 27, 17. Or sorry, Proverbs 27, 6. That says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Yes, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. It's so convicting. So convicting because I'm a people pleaser, right? I, I don't like it when people criticize me, but I don't have the courage oftentimes to tell my friends, you're making a mistake, right? I, I'm more of an enemy sometimes. Say, you do you. Like, good job. You just do your thing. YOLO, okay? I can see your marriage is heading off a cliff if you continue to make those decisions. But I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I want to be your friend. I want you to like me. But oftentimes... Yeah, I'm multiplying kisses instead of being that true friend. You know, Mark Twain put it this way, hey, the truth hurts, but silence kills. Yeah, the truth hurts, but silence kills. So maybe, maybe our next step today is, number one, maybe it's listening. Maybe it's listening to those friends that really love us, that are concerned about us, but are sharing some hard truth with us, but we don't want to listen. Right? We just want to ignore them. Maybe it's listening, or maybe it is to have the courage and to say, God, would you help me? In the most loving way, share this hard truth with my friend who desperately, desperately needs it. You know, a friend is going to be there to love at all times, through ups and through downs. Not because they have to, but because there are our friends. You have those type of friends. Friends kind of like the friends in this video. Let's watch this video and then I'm going to wrap us up. Every week, Andy Gullahorn goes for a walk. And every week, about a mile and a half away, his friend Gabe Scott does the same thing at the same time. They walk toward each other, and when they meet, it's the weirdest thing. You see that? Clap, snap, high five. Then, often, they simply walk home. The whole exercise, their way of saying hi. You realize people have telephones, and you can just call your buddy. 
You're right, we should have been doing that this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and pick up the phone is great, but I've got a friend who literally will walk through the rain and the snow just to give me a high five, and I wish everybody could feel that feeling. Andy and Gabe are musicians in Nashville. They met at a concert in 2000 and became friends. They got together on occasion, but not as often as they would have liked. So they invented this bit of silliness seven years ago as a way of guaranteeing they see each other at least once a week. So this is the High Five Journal. Andy has a log of every encounter, including the one that was nearly their last. It was High Five number 312. Gabe was hospitalized with a severe form of encephalitis. It caused his brain to swell and robbed him of his past. I pretty much forgot my life. Your whole life? Yeah. And that's when his buddy Andy, now a virtual stranger, came to visit. I said, well, Gabe, this is going to sound really weird, but I need you to do something for me. Give me a high five. And he was like, okay. When the moment happened, my body just did what it's been doing for years. <laughs> Clap, snap, high five. That was in September. Since then, a lot of his memories have returned, but few more cherished than this silly tradition, which doesn't seem quite so silly anymore. It's really special to have something, have a memory of something. To have something that's this consistent in my life, that means this much. Andy even wrote a song about their ritual. So take a walk with me on Monday morning. It's a reminder that going out of your way for someone is still the straightest path to an everlasting friendship. Knowing small things matter. It's really no small thing. So who are you walking with? Who's got your back? Whose back do you have? You know, the Bible tells us you walk with the wise and you will grow wise. Maybe the next step that God's going to call you to take today is to find that couple who's a little bit further down the road than you are and invite them over for dinner. Say, hey, can we, can we walk with you? Can we learn from you? you know, maybe, maybe for you, you're saying, I want to be a godly friend, but I can't do it on my own. Right? You, need, you need some other people in your life. Maybe it's, number one, the friendship of Jesus. Because you know, Jesus is the ultimate, the epitome, the example of what it means to be a godly friend. The night before he was crucified, he looked at his disciples and he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because not only was he going to die for them, but he was going to invite them in his mission to take this message of reconciliation with our Heavenly Father to the rest of the world. And he says, because I am going to the Father, because I'm going up to heaven, you know what? You're going to do greater things. He says, you will do greater things than I've ever done. Kind of like receiving a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Yes, they were going to receive the Holy Spirit that would empower them to be able to love and forgive. And take this message of eternal friendship to the rest of the world. Do you have that hope? Are you a friend of Jesus? If you're not, you can make that decision today to surrender your life to Christ in the waters of baptism. Surrender your life to Him. Make Him your Lord and your King. I don't know what your next step is today, but I pray that you would just listen to the voice of your Heavenly Father. Listen and follow. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for friends that have walked with me through tough times and through good times. I thank you for Graham. I thank you for Brett. I thank you for Daniel. I thank you for JR. I thank you for man, so many friends that have blessed my life, and I ask that you would help us 
to be godly friends, to not look out for our own interests this week, but to put other people first, put our friends first. And that way, imitate your son Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.